Welcome to Motherhood Exposed. Join me, Zoe Cresswell, mum of two and a UK-trained midwife and doula, as I meet with an array of amazing women navigating life and motherhood. Since becoming a mum for the second time, after my own complex journey, I've become more and more aware that motherhood is so unique. There's no one story the same, and women need support now more than ever. I hope by allowing mothers to openly speak out, we can help to break the silence around many topics. We need to shout out that there is no normal, and that is something we need to embrace. Motherhood isn't always picture perfect, so let's bust some myths, realign expectations, and share the journey together. Hello. Today, I speak to Natalie Silverman, broadcaster, voiceover extraordinaire, and host of the long-running The Fertility Podcast. Natalie talks to me about the incredible work she is doing in the world of fertility, her podcast, which is getting ready to relaunch, and her own journey, including the difficult decision to not try for any more pregnancies after having her gorgeous son, Phoenix. Have you felt stigma attached to having only one child? Let me know. Hi, Natalie. Thank you very, very much for joining me today. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I had a bit of a sleepless night, but no... I'm going to have an early one tonight, early night, but all good. Thank you. Nice to be here. No, thank you. Yeah, I'm all about sleepless nights at the moment with my daughter. Uh, So (laughs) we're in the trenches still. Oh dear. It will get better. No, it'll get better. It'll be fine. (laughs) Um, So as you well know, I start my podcast with the same same old question, which is how you met your um, husband. Yeah, he is my husband. He is your husband still. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I met my husband online. I met him. Did you through... another online? I love these online stories. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. It's a funny one because I remember when we just met and got kind of together, it was still quite, I mean, I've been, um, we've been together 10 years, been married seven. And it was then it was still like, oh, did you? But um, my husband and I are both Jewish and we met on a Jewish like dating website. And the, the funny thing about it all was that um, I was hosting a breakfast radio show at the time and it was very much about your life. And so I was telling my audience exactly what was going on at the time where I was looking online. And then when we started, when we went on our first date, and um, <laughs> pretty much lived out my relationship on my breakfast show my husband was like who are you when we actually kind of had got married and then I left the radio in the mornings because I was leaving the house at half past four in the morning and he'd be like who are you and I was like you're really grumpy in the morning (laughs) but no we met online and um our first date he was late for I'd done my breakfast radio show and then was waiting to meet him and he rocked up all you did you did a morning date we had a lunchtime date. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. That's brave. Because, well, because I was um, I was doing this radio show and I was going to bed early. Yeah, so, I guess it makes um, sense. Although I think I met him on a Friday on the first day because we met up in the afternoon and then we met up again later because I was, I mean, how cool was this? I was going to a pole jam gig like <laughs> evening with a mate. I wasn't that into pole jam and he really was. And I was like, yeah, I've got VIP tickets for this, uh, <laughs> for this gig. Anyway, we met up again in the evening cause we'd kept in touch during the afternoon. And my friend and I hadn't really gone to see pole jam. We just stayed in the VIP area being kind of total idiots, you know, just drinking the free drinks. Being really but cool. Then we went, being really cool. So but then cool. we went and met my um, co-host from the radio show in, in Soho and he was in a gay bar and, um, we were basically celebrating because the radio show had just got this like big thing happen with it. And um, the guy, mine, our husbands, I was like, yeah, come and meet us. We're in this, whatever the bar was. And he came to meet us and he was very, like he went down a treat with my co-host and all his mates. <laughs> he was a personal trainer at the time and looked really buff. And everyone was like, you've got to see him again. You've got to see him again. Um, so yeah, we, we carried on, um, we carried on from that day. I mean, I was I was working silly hours. I was doing a breakfast radio show, so it was a weird, it was a weird way to start a relationship. Um, but we we got married after two years of being together. So we got engaged after, like you were saying, you know. I suppose the older you get, and the more like, this is what I want. This is what I want. This yeah. is what I want. Are yeah. you in or you're out. I mean, it was a bit more romantic than that, but um, we. Um, we got married two years after. And as I said, the whole wedding, the engagement, it was all discussed on my breakfast radio show. Did, did he know all of this? He knew you were talking about it. 
Yeah, I mean, he'd like Ooh. he'd get up and turn the radio on. Yeah. And he'd be like, Although the biggest error was when I to- I told people that he waxed his back, oh. and I just thought it was a thing that men wouldn't mind talking. He was mortified. Yeah. He was like, Why would you share that? He would love that I've shared it again. Again, yeah. <laughs> um, I'll make sure I include the hashtag when I post it. <laughs> back wax. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. The, the, one of the other funny ones was when we were with some of his family uh, uh, do and s- one of his family members' mother-in-laws came up to me and went, I loved it when you talked about the muffin tin. And I was like, what? And I told this story about how he was moving in. We were moving in together and he was obviously a keeper because he owned a muffin tin, like a muffin tray that you bake muffins in. And like, what kind of guy? I mean, my, my husband yeah, is an incredible cook. Is he? He's, a, he's like my favourite restaurant. He's a brilliant, brilliant oh. cook. And uh, I know I'm very lucky. Um, but this is one of the things I shared in the early days. I was like, yeah, he's obviously a keeper. I mean, what kind of man has a muffin? And he had loads of kitchen stuff to bring to the joint, you know, when we first moved in before we were married. But um I was like, he's got a muffin tin, obviously, obviously a keeper. And this this mum of my, it was like my cousin's fian, now fiancé's mum. She was like, oh, that was so funny. I forgot when I said it. <laughs> well, my husband is amazing in very many ways, but not not in the kitchen. Um, I always I always blame his his mum and his sisters because I think they they spoil him. And now I do the same. So. <laughs> Well, I've had to kind of get back into cooking because I've been so complacent and so got so bad at it because he's just a total natural and can make everything taste really good. And I really have to follow a rest. I can't even remember the, the staples that I once made. So um, I've been really, this has been my thing this year. Like I've been really trying to cook more because I feel rubbish for not being able to oh, cook very well. You know, what? I've happily hand it over, happily. <laughs> I hate well, it. I kind of have, I kind of yeah. have, but you know. I just make the birthday cakes, my son. Awesome. Right. So Natalie, you um, are host of the Fertility Podcast and um, yes. it's a bit vintage, really. You've been doing it for a long time and I, I feel a bit in awe. I feel, um, I was just saying, I was a bit nervous about speaking to you because um, you've been running it for seven years. Is that right? Yeah. So it's so vintage that it's getting a relaunch. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of- that's, that's like, you must have been like a pioneer. Well, there wasn't, um, there wasn't a UK voiced podcast talking about fertility there wasn't very many podcasts to be honest when I started I was obviously an audio geek um but yeah I never imagined I'd still be doing it I just started talking about this stuff and I'm sure that you found there's so many different ways that it affects us however you decide to you know start the conversation and I had no idea what I was starting and the community that now exists the online community wasn't like it was well I wasn't aware of it because I kept my head down when I went through my treatment Mm. my mate had been through it and um, like we were saying, I didn't want to see the, the negativity. I just was very much focused on what, you know, the outcome I wanted. And we, we were so lucky that we had success with our first, we had ICSI um, and mm-hmm. we had success with our first attempt. Um, but yeah, the podcast has been just an incredible, I, I do think it's been my therapy, to be honest. I do think it's, that's why I've put so much effort into it and I've done it for such a long time because it's helped me a huge amount it's it's also been challenging, you know, because mm-hmm. you're talking about a subject matter that is very personal mm-hmm. to you all the time. Um, and I've had to work on that quite a lot. But it's been a real privilege. I know you've, you say in your podcast to have people share what's such a kind of intimate part of their world with you. And also to learn so much from the kind of conversations you have, both experts and men and women sharing their stories. It's It's been a, yeah, it's, it's probably one of the proudest things, you know, I've done. That's amazing. And then um, you say you're having a relaunch. Tell me about that. Well, basically, there's now so many episodes and there's there's almost too much information. And one of the things I harped on about for ages was it's so overwhelming when you're trying to find out about this stuff and this podcast is to help you. And the point of the podcast is to educate and empower you on like what your next steps are. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really cool that I'm now working with like a podcast network. And so we were talking about how we could if we were going to do it all again, how would we do it? And I was like, kind of do it from start to finish of what it means when you're literally just thinking about having a baby, Mm. all of that stuff that you think about. Because since kind of June 2019, I've been hosting the podcast with a lovely lady called Kate Davis, who's an independent fertility nurse consultant. And she's very passionate about the fertility education side of it. And I always wanted the podcast to be the fertility podcast not the infertility podcast obviously Mm. that's how it kind of came about but I wanted that education piece Mm -hmm. to be prominent 
So we're kind of relaunching it, mapping out what that journey looks like. Obviously, there's a whole back catalogue that the episodes are going to go. And if you want more on this, go over there. Yeah. But the idea is to just make it really clear because I've decided that I really want to try and get this podcast on the NHS website. I want it to, because I did this pre-COVID, I was kind of going around GP surgeries and leaving leaflets there and really trying to get that awareness into the GP's heads that this is a resource. Because so many people, as we know, use Google and as we know, find the brilliant communities that there are, but lots of people don't still use or find those communities and yes if you're savvy to know to look for certain hashtag or what have you but mm. i know there's plenty of people that don't yeah because this is such still such an issue and if, you know and um if- it, i didn't and i don't know why because i was on instagram and i just it didn't even i didn't think did not think i followed a but few you wouldn't people necessarily know yeah it was ttc if you didn't no like, i just think as well when you're so in it um, you find it very hard to kind of look beyond what you're doing yourself or what you're, what's happening to you. Um, and it's only since I've really been doing this that um, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. <laughs> There's so much out there. It's amazing. Totally amazing. But I just keep telling myself for all the people that have found it, there's however many that haven't. No, absolutely. Yeah. Kind of, um, you know, the power of like podcasts now, just the power of the internet anyway but just having another form of something somewhere that hopefully can reach that person that still hasn't found an answer to their googles if they well i mean yeah so the basically the relaunch is to just start again set it all out as in this is what a journey is and what i mean is going from thinking about understanding your cycle to having gone maybe through failed treatment and actually looking at what life childless looks like and so because that's what the podcast has already covered i wanted it to just be really clear and then um show you that there's more on that certain topic so you can dip in further um but it was just trying to make it more concise Mm, like a one-stop shop almost which is kind of what it set out to be but it just got so big Um, (laughs) and so big in the number of kind of content um in the number of episodes that you know we've we've created over over the years as well i mean i've worked out this figure of like nine thousand hours of interviews wow we've kind of created it's that's amazing well done that's incredible so (laughs) you started it when you were on your own journey is that right started it once i was pregnant okay can you tell me about your your own fertility journey yeah yeah i mean like i said i met my husband and we got married pretty quick and we were we were talking, you know, that, that, that families were part of it and um, we were trying and it didn't happen. And I was 36. Mm-hmm. So quickly went having conversations because a couple of my best friends that had been through treatment were like, go and ask, go and ask, you know, go and push the doctor. And um, we had the tests and we were pretty quickly told it was male factor. We were told just before Christmas and... Um, I'd mentioned that my husband was a was a personal trainer. He was mm-hmm. in amazing shape and mm. was a health coach and was really looking after himself and was totally sideboard by that diagnosis. Um, and, you know, that was, I think, the biggest impact of it all in that that had a, had a quite significant impact on, 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 our relationship yeah um it it really affected um his confidence and it's not something that's been addressed till very recently um in terms of support okay that's my next question did he get um support or counseling or anything not was anything offered no and i saw out us going and i never forget we went to a session and he went on the way there. I'm not going to say anything. Like before we even got there, I'm not going to say anything. Just so you know, and didn't. Wow. Um, and yeah, it was only very, very recently, like in the last year, that the conversations have started um, with him. Before he took it on to have conversations himself, he'd been a part of some other um, conversations, which I'm sure we'll talk about because we had some implications counselling in, in um, regards to our frozen embryos and what we what we decided to do mm. with them. But um, yeah, so we basically we had the treatment and it worked, and like that part of it was 
the most straightforward, which, you know, I'm very aware of how rare that is. And I'm very aware of how fortunate we are. Um, so you had ICSI and it worked first time? Yes. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. And we had three frozen embryos. Um, and, you know, I was doing my show, was doing my radio show whilst I was um, going through the treatment. And that was hard because it was still daunting and I was terrified of needles but by day, by day three um, because I heard Becky um, defining mum tell you how she was terrified of needles I on day one had this whole ceremony laid out and I had numbing cream and I had music and I had <laughs> this shawl and by day three I was hosting an event and I did I did my injection in the toilet of the event you know I'd got over it pretty quick which I was you know chuffed with myself about absolutely um, but um, it was still a challenge being a jolly breakfast radio presenter was. So you didn't talk about this side of things on on the radio show? No, I didn't even talk about it to my boss. And this is part of the other areas of my kind of work with the fertility stuff is is this whole fertility um, matters at work um, conversation because I was a freelance because that's the way media works. And I had no idea who to talk to. I had no idea who my HR, I didn't have no, I didn't have a line manager. I had a boss. And um, I found a number and called a number um, in the phone, in internet, uh, in, in, whatever it's called, intranet thing mm-hmm. at, at yeah. work and had a conversation with this HR person and told them what was going on. And they went, well, you've got to tell your boss. Because the thing is with the breakfast radio show, you can't just not turn up. You know, your name's on the door. You, you, like, it's quite hard to just not be there when that trigger shot like needs to happen. Um, and so this faceless lady said to me, you've got to say something, otherwise your boss will think you're looking for another job. So I told him that I was having some treats and I was having a medical procedure um, and that I was going to speak with my co-host and my producer to work out how we'd get around it. And he was quite uncomfortable about it and was like, OK, whatever you need to do. But the guys I did the show with, like, you know, day to day knew, um, which again, you know, they were cool, but I didn't want to have to tell them. Like, mm. I didn't want to have to tell them that I was going through this stuff because then it became a thing that they mm. were talking about and but it was you know the least amount of in in invasion of you know what was going on and it was very I made it very clear that I wasn't going to talk about it and in hindsight I mean imagine if I talked about it imagine like, I didn't have the balls at all but I was on a breakfast radio show with one of the UK's leading commercial brands I mean but I obviously yeah. didn't want to put that pressure on myself I didn't no, know of course and also, when I started the podcast, I was anonymous for the first year because I still didn't know how to really. I didn't. I didn't know how to. The, everybody talked about this with as this taboo topic, and there was such stigma about it. And I used those words over and over again in my early episodes. And I didn't say oh, I was me. I said I'm. 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 I'm talking about this public thing, this private thing in a public way. Mm. Um, and then a, a year in, having had a number of people go why won't you say who you are and also having conversations about you know owning what you do when you're doing your own thing you know um I kind of came out and I was like this is me and uh it felt the biggest relief because I was like okay nothing's happened to me no it is you know but have, I, have you seen a big like shift in people's um people's perception of fertility from this from when you started your podcast seven years ago to kind of now how how things oh, massive. are it's so much yeah it's so much more talked about like mm. the fact that there's so many more fertility podcasts mm. is, is the you know is is brilliant the fact that it's so much more written about in the press and you know talked about on the radio and I just watched a program the other day that was the comedian Rod Gilbert doing his yes. whole thing about male fertility stuff and it was brilliant and it, it hugely I think and and yet there's still the conversation that you have with someone when you tell them what you do and they go oh yes I know someone who knows someone and oh it's such a stigma and oh it's you know it's so, it's so misunderstood you know it's like people I feel that we're very much in this bubble in the fertility community because we're watching and looking and talking to each other so often there's still a huge amount of of people that don't get it and you know this I saw just today a post from a guy who does um a male podcast and he'd been talking he was involved in the Rod Gilbert thing I just mentioned and he was interviewed by, by BBC Wales and he shared a Facebook post where he'd had loads of abuse from people going you know having a kid isn't be all and end all and get over it and you know this when I see that kind of backlash that 
people that are being brave and putting it out there how they're feeling get you're just like you're an idiot you mm. know and the number of times when you say to somebody did you know that the world health organization classes infertility as a disease because i've been talking like that in the kind of corporate setting for example because i've been mm-hmm. doing more stuff like you know talking about that and the number of people that um are just like no i never i never imagined that and so you realise well, that there's yeah. still a lot to do. Well, I guess if it doesn't, if it hasn't affected you or doesn't affect you or you don't know someone who's affected, then yeah. you, you, don't really, you just don't really think about it, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So tell me about um, how did your pregnancy go and your birth and how was, how was that side of things? Do you know, I had the, the, the kind of best experience of being pregnant. Um, and I don't, when I look back at it, because I now know that I'm not going to be pregnant again, um, I just feel like really blessed with that, in that it was all fine. I had a bit of morning sickness, you know, I wouldn't, we went on my, my father-in-law has a boat, we went on his boat when I was just at the 11 weeks and I had a lot of ginger biscuits and ginger chews to, <laughs> to kind of manage the, um, and we had one like dodgy sail um, and he was like, get down below with my future grandchild. <laughs> um, but no, I had a really enjoyable experience. I had a bit of like hip ache near the end, but then I um, had a water birth, which is what I wanted. Wow. And I did test positive for strep B. And um, that was after my sister-in-law had insisted I had the test um, due to personal um, kind of uh, personal experience that she'd experienced through a friend of hers. Um, and I was really nervous about that, not meaning I could have the water birth, but I, I did. And I had to have like my, because I had to have the cannula, I had to yeah. have my arm out of the birthing pool. But um, it all went, you know, really smoothly. We managed to hit play on the playlist that I'd put together. <laughs> I, I couldn't have, I couldn't have, you know, asked for it to go better and we didn't know that we were having a little boy and so then that whole moment of you know finding out and knowing now again what I know because I didn't watch One Born Every Minute or anything like that beforehand I'd only watched Call the Midwife um <laughs> where's the best that's, that's the best <laughs> and also that code of not talking about birth stories until you've had your baby seemed to happen with all my girlfriends that had, had babies there was never there was no scary stories shared with me until oh. I that's really good. That's quite unusual. Yeah. I, 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 oh, maybe it was just my friends. And, or, Ooh, or maybe, they're nice friends. Yeah, maybe friends. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe people have been lucky because there was then some stories, you know, as we've got older and more people have had, you know, more challenging experiences. But um, no, I had I had a, a, a great experience, a great experience. And I'm really thankful for that because, like I say, it's it's my kind of one and only experience of it. So you talk about... Um, you know you're not going to be pregnant again. Can you can you talk me through that decision? Yeah. Um, so I think that's where my kind of um, uh, want to talk about this um, kind of comes from because personally I went on a real journey to reach this point in that we had three frozen embryos, yet circumstance of jobs changing, relocating, life running my own business, all these things meant that that next child conversation didn't happen, didn't happen. And then the storage fees for the embryos kept coming. And then that combination of what we're we doing here and what does this mean? And me asking some really like deep questions in terms of, am I, am I going to go through treatment again? And now I know so much more about how lucky we were that it worked and all that stuff in your head. Mm. Um, and so I spent um, a, nearly two years basically working on this in terms of seeking support. So I um, had different counselling and implications counselling about the decision to not have further treatment or what it would mean to have further treatment because what also became apparent was that the the mental health impact of what we'd experienced was quite significant, more significant than we'd maybe first realised. And my other half had had been quite open in that he really didn't feel that he could handle it, us having another child mm-hmm. and feeling that our relationship w- was 
it was te- had been tested and pushed by a lot of this and we talked about the fact we don't still own a house and the reality in that because you know we've moved like I say and relocated for work and jobs have changed my husband changed careers and retrained and you know I've been the kind of the main breadwinner for a part and then that whilst I was able to work with my you know I had like a month off when I mm-hmm. had, had my son um it's just obviously it, it there was all the things that we needed to consider and the reality was that when um I closed my eyes and really thought about what my future looked like it was more focused on us finally having the dream house with the three of us rather than there being another little person in my arms and so through the implications counseling um, we made the decision to donate our remaining embryos to science um and that i didn't want to just let them go i didn't want to just um not think about it i talked with the counselor about having a natural cycle but then the reality was I actually didn't know whether I could handle being pregnant again. And, you know, I'm a sibling. My husband's a sibling. We've been through a pandemic where my son is like, I'm bored and never have I questioned that decision more. Um, But at the same time, I can't do anything about it now. Um, I did write something. um, I was doing some journaling recently and I did write adopt question mark, which I hadn't written before. And I wondered whether that's something that would ever you know yeah come into anything anything more i mean we have a cat now which is a <laughs> lockdown addition but um yeah so i i having made that decision i've been quite adamant to speak about it because every time i have spoken about it i've had so many people contact me saying i think the same and i can't talk about it and i can't face having to make this decision and i feel awful and there's such a narrative that isn't right about having one child um and I'm just learning about the communities that exist mm. for one child families. Um, and is this, um, I was trying to, because when I was thinking about speaking with you, I was, I was really trying to think back to my own, my own childhood, really. Um, now I do have a sister, but I was trying to think of friends and things. And if it ever kind of crossed my mind, if they were, if they, you know, I, I'm going to use the word only child. I don't like, sorry, and um, yeah. that. But if they had, you know, did, did it ever? Did it? Did I ever think about it? And I don't think I did. And is that just me, or is it something that's become more of a thing um, recently um, as the years have gone on? That families are generally bigger, um, but presumably they were actually probably bigger in the past. Um, so, mm. wh- wh- where do you think this thing has come from? Where we've gone? Oh, you've only got one child, or you've just got one child. Um, where where's that um stem where does that stem from i don't know and it'd be a good thing to actually find the root of it um because i know like the the french call one child for unique or enfant unique um which is a much like more lovely way to describe it but <laughs> similarly the, the the friends the peers i have who are only children when i've talked to them about their experience some of them loved it and some of them you know craved a bigger family and craved mm. siblings um but then I also have talked to the friends who also have one child and about how they feel and how they've approached it and how they've um, managed their own guilt around it. Um, and I think because our society was the 2.4 children, it was always assumed that I don't know where it came from. Well, no, you've just said you've just said they have to manage guilt around having one one child. So why, why do we have guilt for having one? Well, I've had lots of guilt because. I know what it's like to have siblings mm-hmm. and I know that I can call my brother or sister with something that maybe I could not call anybody else with and they would help me with it. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say you can't have that relationship with friends. And I'm adamant that my son will have that relationship with friends <laughs> because he, he needs to. And, um, but I think I've had guilt in the, he'll never have that. He'll never have that. But uh, he also, I hope, I I think it's redefining what family actually means. And I know there's plenty of people who will be like, I hate my siblings. And, you know, we've got (laughs) members in our family, different family kind of splits that, you know, siblings, siblings that didn't speak till, you know, people passed and, you know, stories like that, that that you hear. And so it's not a kind of a given, is it? That just because you have more than one child and, and also, you know, through the pandemic, I've heard 
friends that are like, oh, they've just been driving each other, they're driving one another mad. And mm. they're like, you're so lucky you've just got the one. And you're like, mm. okay. And so it, it, I think it's just um, the way that people can assume. And so I've had conversations where people would be like, well, well it's not fair on him. And pe- people would say, you know, he's he's going to be spoiled and he's going to be, and there's been times during the, during the lockdown that my husband said to me, don't you think he's becoming a bit, you know, a bit spoiled? And I'm like, no, it's just because of all of this stuff. And but you have to, you have to question because you know I'm devoted. My time is devoted to him when I'm not doing all the other things mm-hmm. that I do. And I have to be. I'm very aware of of that and trying mm-hmm. to be fair and just and explain things. Um, so, but I don't know the origins. But I do think that there is a narrative in society that only children are spoiled and it's not fair on a child. That it's more like that. I've had those kind of things said or comments like are you only having one? Aren't you having any more? Rather than it just being fine that you have a child. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's an assumption that you've had one, you'd have more. So within your own conversations with your husband and the, the online community that you're finding now, um, what sort of other things are you, do you sort of consider and work through? So um, there's, the, there's the being spoilt, um, there's your own guilt. Um, is there anything else you can think of that you've had to kind of perhaps think differently to a parent that has two or three children? I suppose one of the things that in the decision-making for the embryo decision that we'd we'd thought a lot about was what it enabled us to do as a three in terms of where we went and what we did. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that is a big plus in terms of during lockdown I only need one other device for <laughs> to do his homeschooling rather than the friends that have had to you know buy yeah. at a birthday it's only buying one bike rather so from a <laughs> point of view there's 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 that side of it from an emotional point of view I think it's just the um what that then means you know in your in your family unit so there needs to be still as with every family you know there needs to be equal um time with parents and children and that's hard in itself however many whether you've got children or not you know that 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 can can not always be easy and I think when there's been something like infertility in the mix the ripples that it does have on a relationship can can sometimes be farther reaching than you might have expected Mm -hmm. um like I say we've worked through quite a lot of stuff um more recently so I think that that almost feels more prominent that you know this stuff doesn't just go away um I think the um the conversations that I have with my son are important so there'll be times where he'll ask me why he doesn't have a sister or a brother or he wants a sister or a brother that doesn't happen as much now it happened probably when he first started school and he was being asked or he's in, you know, he's meeting other children for the first time and learning about their siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, now he tells me he doesn't like babies, so <laughs> he's quite fine because I've I've now made it quite clear when we talk about it that you know, mummy's not having another baby and that we've got our fur baby and our cat, and mm-hmm. um, and we talk about how he'd have to share things and he he wouldn't have this or that. I mean, that's not I think the the best way to talk about it. It's just when it's been challenging, you might have gone. Yeah, absolutely, and you have to kind of make it. Um, he, he's, is he five? Yeah. Yeah. So you've got to kind of make it age appropriate and that yeah. will change, of course, as he, as he exactly. grows. Exactly. I mean, he's very aware of what this podcast is and it, it's only a massive time till he asks more details, you know, about it. Cause I have had his face, um, you know, on the website and I talk about him and use his name. And I know that there's plenty of people within this space and, you know, doing stuff online anyway, that keep their children out of it um because they want to protect the children for future conversations whereas mm-hmm. i have talked about this and so it, it's out there and so um it's only a matter i mean i started to actually talk about ivf to him recently but he wasn't he wasn't interested i will you know i'm, I'm no. not it's a conversation i've had with it's actually after speaking to becky um defining mum um that i walked away from that and spoke to my husband and said because obviously our daughter is she's only one so she's a little bit too young but um yeah yeah my son isn't now he's nearly seven and um I feel like it's something we need to start to he needs to know how she was he knows that more doctors were involved and he knows that I needed a bit of help but um you know how we explain to him and then eventually her 
um, how their conceptions were different um, mm. and their stories are different. Um, but actually being sent, um, or was it Robo Mummy? Is that what it's called? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, she's sending me her book. So I'm really looking forward to reading that. Um, I've heard some yeah. really good reviews on that. Yeah. Yeah. So that should be, um, I'm hopefully hoping that that's going to be really helpful for me <laughs> and, and do it all for me, basically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've got some books. I don't know where. I've got some different books that I've, again, thought about. Well, we've tried to read them a little bit. Um, but he's not. It's almost like I know you'll know when the right time. Yes, no, absolutely. Or, or no, the right course. situation. It doesn't have to be forced. I know yeah. Becky's talking about um, Becky again. I know she's brilliant in how she's been talking about it, but it, it's much more um, a part of her healing as well. Mm-hmm. I think in her conversation, and um, I don't necessarily think that that's what I need with my son right now it's more it needed to have been done with with my own healing my own kind of dealing with the grief of of what hasn't happened you know and how mm-hmm. I'd envisage my family to look mm-hmm. absolutely thank you and um you said you've given your embryos up for um research do you, can you explain what that means yeah so um it means a lot of paperwork when <laughs> to do it um but um, embryo research is um, basically how we can find out why IVF fails. And um, I wanted to understand more about it and actually went to my clinic and like made a little film about the whole process because I said to them, look, I, I'm talking about this on my social media and every time I do, people are like talking about how much of a, a burden it is and how limbo how in limbo they feel and and I think that we don't understand it enough we don't understand what it means it feels really clinical and the language used in the paperwork and just in any of the literature that you see on websites is really clinical and you just feel such an attachment to these things especially when you know like I say we had a, a straightforward route to um having our son but still there were three embryos there and it was another chance and I talked to my mum about it and I was saying you know oh they're they're his twins or you know yeah. they're his they're, because they were they were 36 year old me it, 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 yeah and he's such a character it, it, that was the hardest thing to kind of um detach yourself from and I didn't want to um go through the I was too old to um donate them to somebody else because you have to be under 35 and I was 36 at the time okay but also we, we couldn't really get our head around that yeah. as a as a thing to do and so the next thing to kind of do to help you know, others was this idea. And what I learned from having conversations with um, my, my clinic, with um, their kind of head of, of embryology was that um, embryologists don't get access to this type of material very often. And he was talking to me about it being such a gift, what I'd done. Mm. And that was a huge thing. You know, that was like, he was like, I'm so kind of uh, um, proud of you for doing it. It's such a gift for us. And, and, um, the idea being that the more they can do studies on everything from how an embryo thaws to then how the different processes um, are kind of taken on by the embryo means that they can start to get more insight into implantation failure Mm -hmm. mainly. On the downside, somebody said to me recently that um, they were thinking about this decision and their consultant went, oh, well, it might just be used to see how it defrosts and you think and then you're just gonna what discard it but I think you can't attach too much to the 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 literal parts of the research what I think the most important thing to take from this if you are thinking about this as an option is how precious this research material is for the people who the embryologists who we know are the most kind of you know crucial people in this whole process um and so I think you need to think about it like that rather than that example I just gave. And that was a really callous person that said no, that to the, yeah. the person. No, it's um, I, obviously I'm in the UAE and um, over here we don't have that option at all. So right. it's actually amazing that it probably doesn't feel like this for a lot of people, but it's an amazing that you at least get the option because for us... You don't have the option to donate. No, no. It's, what happens? They get destroyed. And that's it. Really? Mm-hmm. And it was, um, and I think I read in one of your posts that it's something you put off and put off and put off. And actually, 
I, I blogged about this a while ago um, because we got the letter through the post of, oh, you need to make a decision. And we've, we, we know we're finished now. We have two healthy embryos, um, good quality ones. Um, and my immediate was, well, can we donate? Um, no, not an option here at all. And it's something I've, I massively struggled with. Um, and actually, I still haven't, I don't actually even know what's happened to them now because I think they've probably destroyed them because we said on email, yeah, it's, we, don't, we don't want them anymore. That's, no, that's the wrong word. We won't be using them. Um, but I never signed the form. I never sent it off because I just kept putting it off. <laughs> but for me, it was a real struggle because um, I just felt there was so much potential um, in these little tiny cells that they held a possible, you know, because you see your living child exactly. and know that, that that could also be the same. Um, yeah. And so they just hold so much. And it felt, because we didn't have an option, I just felt like I was... Ugh, it was. It felt like I was terminating a pregnancy. Um, having been through the journey we'd been to through, that then felt so, you know, just so wrong. It was just. It was just a really bleh decision. It was horrible. Um, mm. But I think it was my mum who said to me, "Well, you know, they've they've been part of the journey in their own way, and they've brought you, Sybil, our daughter. Um, you know, they they've okay. You're not using them, but they've been part of the journey, and that they've they've still added to." To bringing you your happiness and bringing you your daughter and blah blah yeah I don't know. it's difficult um but no the decision here is there isn't one sadly because um, so. part of my um sorry I was just feeling a snooze part of my <laughs> initial kind of um looking into it was um because I mentioned how I'm, I'm Jewish and I wanted to know whether there was a, a blessing that mm. you know I could say um and I'm not massively religious, but I just felt like you say there's such a connection and it feels such a responsibility. And when you know that so many people still haven't got what they want to, yep. to just discard this, this um, precious, you know, embryo that you've, you've, you've created. Um, there wasn't that I asked cause I was, I was getting support from, um, there's a Jewish charity called Hannah who uh, I was having counseling with initially. And apparently she'd found that there was a, a prayer, something to do with, with with a miscarriage but there wasn't a, a, a prayer for a specific prayer for an embryo but um that then led me on to um the kind of the next stages of trying to process and even when we did finally send the paperwork um and that kind of dragging out of the signing and the posting of, of of the letter and everything we went and we did a little ceremony at the at the beach and I kind of wanted to mark it we threw some roses into into the sea um and had like a little moment to because it just felt significant mm. a, 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 and I talk about it being the hardest decision I've ever made in my life um and yeah I mean but at least having the option I think that that must have been incredibly hard for you to not have the option, but I, I, I don't know how it works if you haven't signed it, whether they can. I don't actually know. I probably should find out as opposed to being a bit like in not in the know, but we'll um I'll deal with that another time. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe after the pandemic's over. Um I just wanted to ask you, because you're a freedom fertility formula specialist. I had to write that yeah. down. Um yeah. and um I actually shortened it to FFFS and then that started to look a bit rude. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, can you tell me what that is? Yeah, so um, I basically learned this formula, which was created by a lady called Danny Griffiths, and it's a seven-step formula of helping you understand your emotions better, specifically around your fertility journey, because all too often we're not really taught about our emotions, and we have a lot of conversations now much more about mental health and mindfulness and um, the importance of looking after our minds, but that mind-body connection is still quite um, undervalued. Um, and in the work I've been doing with the podcast, I was inevitably getting all sorts of questions and, and I felt I had a real duty of care to be able to at least support people better. And I wanted to do something and I didn't have the headspace to train mm -hmm. as a counsellor. Um, and what this, um, program that, you know, in the, 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 the formula has taught me over, you know, a couple of years of, of studying it and you, you know, you work with, with case studies before you start working with clients is this whole methodology of kind of teaching people to better understand their emotions by helping them learn what your emotions are trying to guide you towards in terms of action 
which is what inevitably our emotions are trying to do. They're trying to take us to a better place. And it's all about helping you come out of this emergency state, which all too often you're in when you're trying to conceive and the mm-hmm. the issues around stress. Whilst we know that there's no direct study saying that stress impacts your fertility, the fact that being stressed heightens your cortisol and you'll know that, you know, that means your body isn't working as efficiently as it should. And it's just helping people understand all the different ways that you can come back to neutral and you can learn things to do every day. And so it's a mixture of kind of, of talking, of CBT, of um, visualizations. And you work with, I, I work with kind of people over like a three month period. So it's every couple of weeks. So as to not overwhelm because there's things to kind of take off with you and, and try and action. And, mm-hmm. and the other thing is that we set these kind of success steps and that's all about trying to put something in place each time that makes you feel like you're you're living in the weight rather than the whole waiting for yeah. you know the the the, the, the baby in your arms mm. um and it's been a really like again lovely addition to what I do um again I've had to be really wary of my own emotions through all of this I hadn't realized how emotionally draining coaching people would be and um I've had to really kind of think about that because, you know, I like started doing this with people last July and I was like, gosh, I didn't think it would affect me if mm-hmm. somebody isn't in a great place and somebody has a, a positive and then they lose, you know, I've, I've worked with people and they've, you know, they've, they've fallen pregnant and they've, they might have lost the baby and, you know, you're stepping into somebody's really kind of close circle when you work with them in this way. And so, um, but it's been amazing to be able to, offer the support because even the people like I mentioned that haven't um had success they have told me that through what they've learned they've coped with it so much better and that you know that to me is the best thing possible because you you know you can't you can't guarantee an outcome for somebody can you you can as in a, a, a baby but you can you can certainly help people work through what they're feeling and how best to kind of process it and, mm-hmm. and feel more in control of your emotions not control them but in control of yeah. them that's really important thank you yeah so, that makes sense no it does it sounds incredible um so i like thank to you. ask um all my guests if you were to have um coffee or gin or wine or tea mm-hmm. whatever um, with any woman alive dead um fictional um family who would that be and why so I was thinking about this and I was like, I'm just going to go for somebody like really relevant now to me. Um, and I would like to have cake with Nadia oh, Hussein. Cake, good. Cake, yeah. cake. Yeah. With Nadia Hussein yes. the Bake Off. Yes, I know who First you mean. First of all, it would be uh, uh, an amazing cake. Epic. But I just, I love her. I love, I love how through every programme series that she's done, she's just a joy to watch. And I love how real she comes across and I love how she's also talked about her own mental health mm. um, issues. And I've watched various like Insta lives with her as well. Um, she was chatting with Candice Braithwaite, who's again is someone I'd, I'd love to have a cu- a cuppa, a cuppa with, um, <laughs> but just talking about as women of color, how they have embraced color, which was a love. Like I've always loved her color um, as in, that she's wearing she's always obviously so bribe- vibrant and it was really f- lovely hearing about the impact of color on her world um and how you know in in kind of in days gone by it wouldn't have been something that she would have thought that she would be able to do and wear mm-hmm. because of you know ridiculousness of how people are perceived um but how amazing it's helped her with her mental health as yeah. well and mm-hmm. just little things like that that you just I just love learning little insights like that so yeah she would be my person she has the, the best laugh as well and the biggest smile I just think she's I just think she'd it would be a glorious it would be a glorious cuppa and, and cake I mean the cake the cake oh absolutely um, can I come just for the cake yeah, <laughs> and um, since becoming a mum is there anything you found yourself saying that your your mum or dad used to say to you Oh, to my son. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the the square eyes thing is something that I've said. <laughs> and um, my son is so literal. He's like looking in the 
if if he's had a bit of a bout of TV and I've said, come on, telly off, you know, remember square eyes. And one of his friends at school is actually, obviously their parents are the same thing. Um, But he, I've had him looking in the, I've had conversations as to whether he can actually, they are square and you feel a bit bad because it's obviously (laughs) not going to happen. But yeah, the don't watch too too much TV, you'll get square eyes is something that I found myself saying a lot, which is, is, did that come? Nice. Did that come from the eighties? Because I definitely had that as well. <laughs> I don't know. It must have done. Yeah, it must have done. I mean, where it came from, ridiculous. But on the plus side, I do sing him this lullaby that my mum sang to me, that Aww. her dad sang to her, um, and and he loves it. And it always, even now, it still sends him to sleep. And I love that's my favourite thing that I have from my mum that I do for him. And if it's something that actually works to send him to sleep, then that that yeah. is a bonus. I don't think yeah, I have definitely. any of those tools whatsoever. <laughs> oh, I'll send you a link. You can learn my lullaby. I will. Work. <laughs> <laughs> and um, bearing in mind your your infinite experience and your own journey, um, is there a top tip, a mum hack, anything you can um, give to our listeners? You see, I was my experience has nothing to do with it. <laughs> um, it was, I was, I was going to give one that my friend gave to me, which I always have it playing in my head because it applies to being a mum as well as being a wife. And that is pick your battles. Oh, do you know what? I knew you were going to say that as soon as you started saying that. <laughs> yeah. My mum gave that one to me. Choose your battles. <laughs> and I think it's so good in so many different situations that it's just, I think having that as another little voice that comes from within, I think will always just give you that time to breathe um, mm-hmm. and breathe. I mean, I've um, been doing quite a lot of breath work, you know, since I've been doing my coaching, but also through the pandemic. Um, and I think that's been a huge thing for me. D- lots of deep breaths that you, you don't realise until you really do it with some regularity that uh-huh. has such an amazing effect on you. That's amazing. And I think as well with the choose your battles is that, you you know, it doesn't have to be perfect all of the time. It's OK exactly. to let some things go. Yeah, that's amazing. Exactly. Yeah. And Leslie, how can we find you? Well, the best place is um, at Fertility Body on Instagram and, and Twitter. And the fertilitypodcast.com is the website and the podcast is on all all the platforms so once people have subscribed to your podcast they can then go subscribe to my um but yeah it's a uh, mainly if you just remember the fertilitypodcast.com you'll find all the different ways to get in touch that's brilliant thank you so much for speaking to me today it's been oh, it's an to absolute pleasure thank you. thank you and um have a lovely rest of afternoon i've got to go thank you get the kids showered and in bed now it's, it's late here it's the end of your day <laughs> it oh, yeah. is have a good one that's why i look like this like the bags oh, are, are slowly lovely. slipping down my face <laughs> i've got to go and do more podcast recording oh have you oh gosh right. talking thank you very much lovely take care chat. have a lovely day bye A big thank you to Natalie for taking the time to speak to me today and sharing her story with us all. If any of the topics discussed today have affected you too, do let me know by commenting on my Instagram post about this podcast. Thank you for listening and see you next week.